Oh, yeah, I got to make you co-host, too. Make me co-host. Mm-hmm. I'm the co-host with the most. I don't know what I have the most of, but... And what's going through Liz's brain right now? Why doesn't he make me co-host? Why isn't it always Rob? Hey, I want to be just, co-host. It's not I'm just, Rob. Listen, I don't want to record shit. I'm here for decoration. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're eating. What are you eating? Shrimp fried rice. Oh, nice. Except and for the shrimp part. Yeah. She, she, <laughs> had, she's, she, she, she went to Tahoe and has some health issues again so her voice is a little oh, off and on, different Liz. today stop so going away she's gonna <laughs> she's gonna be talking and sounding a little differently today can you stop having a life please yeah yeah exactly you're making the rest of us look bad recording in progress And welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. <laughs> I'm testing this, out my deep cold voice. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, hey, hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot. And joining me today, she's back. Miss Liz Malone. Hi there. I'm. I don't think I'm taking Steve's job, but I'm, I'm the understudy. I'm the under. I'm the understudy. So you know. There you go. Uh, and hey, also we also have Mr. Ryan Flurry here. I'm enthused to be here. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'll have what he's having. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to be opposite. Liz sounded so dopey dogish. So I know. Well, so we should set. Well, first of all, Liz has been away for a few weeks, so we should say, "Hey, welcome back, Liz." And welcome uh, you brought back, Liz. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> See, thanks a lot. Now we got to put up with this for an hour. <laughs> Got to put up with David Lee Roth here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, to, so, tell how how was uh, how was the great trip? You went to Lake Tahoe, I hear, to a little vacation. How was that? Did oh, it, it's beautiful. I lost uh, a lot of my money is still in Lake Tahoe, by the way. But uh, I think know. technically it's in Reno. <laughs> <laughs> Flew into Reno, drove up the mountain just to lose my money, and back down the mountain to go home so but it was nice it's beautiful <laughs> yeah now so is, is 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 this true this rumor that i hear true is that that's where you you ended up getting some sort of an infection brian thinks it was on the plane oh, i see going out there well, yeah. that's true. i always think there's something suspicious about that airplane air yeah yeah i'm not a fan you're in a yeah, tube and the air is just recycling and recycling and recycling yeah and who knows, maybe there, or maybe it's just, it was the change in, I don't know, from North Carolina to there. Well, there's definitely that issue when, you, when you're up there that the altitude is so different. And for me, my, mm-hmm. my ears were popping all the time and I had to kind of, yep. I, I had to make some adjustments for sure. But then, you know, when you get that, that classic first sign of the itchy throat, I was like, oh no. <laughs> Right. Well, just for those people out there that are playing Liz Malone's sickness bingo, uh, what uh, what uh, what did you get this time? It's uh, this week uh, for anyone who bet on uh, upper respiratory infection. You are a winner. Winner. Ding, 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 ding. Bingo. All well, right. This is the free space. <laughs> That would be a hangnail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, well, uh, and so how are you feeling now, though? Are you kind of on the other end of it? Did you? Uh, what's, yeah, what's going yeah. on with you now? Yeah, you know, it's just a little bit of residue that, you know, the, right. the, the you know, the, the annoying, lingering, runny nose cough, yeah. you know. But feel at least my energy is back somewhat. Right. Not like Ryan, though, apparently. She feels no. good. Ow! <laughs> wow. We're going to have to... 
<laughs> to figure out how to how to keep that energy up. Don't you love that? Good. My my <laughs> my voice my pitch drops and his goes up like three octaves. It's I a, know. It's nice. Yeah, it's sound. amazing. Yeah. I feel good. <laughs> a feeling there's going to be a lot of sound clips uh, pulled from this episode. <laughs> we need some. Yeah, we might need some soundboard stuff. Well, that's good. Um, well, let's check in with Ryan real quick. Uh, Ryan, how are you? I'm good, Rob. How are you doing? I'm I'm fantastic. Uh, we uh, Blind Beginnings uh, had a our gala, our big fundraising gala over the weekend. Right. Uh, so we have, yeah, we were we've been working hard at uh, pulling that off. So that's been keeping me really busy for the last three weeks. So it feels nice to have that in the rearview mirror. But uh, yeah, the good news is that we raised uh, about sixty-four thousand dollars. Nice. Wow. As a good result job. of the evening, so uh, yeah, I, nice. We'll go I hope, towards. I hope it wasn't a super spreader event. <laughs> oh, you! <laughs> way, to, way to bring the room down. <laughs> I still feel good. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it was good. It was, it was a fun evening, and uh, yeah, so. Nice. Good job. Congratulations to everyone. Yes, nice yeah. job. Good job, Thank Robin. Thank you. <laughs> I hate you. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, hey, now that we're all caught up, um, hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Why don't we get down to business, and why don't you tell us uh, just what the heck we're doing today? Sure. So our guest today is known by many titles and so i'm only going to list two of them and then i'll let her introduce herself and tell us way more than i could ever dive into so our guest today is sherry bernhaber and i've seen titles such as accessibility subject matter expert accessibility architect and i'm stopping there because the list goes on and on and on so i want to welcome to the show sherry welcome Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Glad you could join us. And I hope I pronounced your name right. You did. Yay. Ooh, go Ryan. Woo. Yeah, nice. I nice feel to be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'm, listen, I'm anxious to hear about all these other titles, too. Um, but before before we, we dive too far down into that, because we'll get to all that, because there's a ton of stuff uh, that, that uh, I want to talk to you about. But maybe to just start, give us a little background about yourself and maybe just how you sort of found yourself as, a, you know, sort of a, a digital accessibility expert. Sure. So I have this eclectic background that turns out to be perfect for accessibility, even though that wasn't part of the master plan. I started off with a degree in computer science and worked in software testing for about 10 years. And then... Uh, I got a wild hair and said, you know what, I really think I should go to law school. And so I uh, went to law school for three years, thinking that I was going to practice intellectual property when I finished. And instead, my third year of law school, we discovered that my middle daughter was losing her hearing. And so instead of going into intellectual property, I ended up going into advocacy for the deaf sued a lot of insurance companies and school districts uh, for uh, discriminating against uh, people with hearing loss for you know various different things ranging all the way from you know sign language interpreter services you know all the way to cochlear implants and accommodations and then uh, put myself out of business. Uh, I uh, won a class action lawsuit against Blue Cross and all the insurance companies started giving in. Wasn't much of a business because I was working for a nonprofit and we didn't charge. So I know all about uh, gala fundraising events like the one that you talked about <laughs> earlier, Rob. Right. And uh, just about that time, uh, it was when digital accessibility was taking off. And I thought, well, you know what? I've got the lived experience of somebody with a mobility disability. I've got the lived experience of the parent of somebody who's deaf. I've got a computer science degree and I'm a lawyer. Why don't I look at digital accessibility as a career pivot? And that was about 17 years ago. So I've been doing that ever since. So having been in that field for 17 years, just a, just a general question, what's that trajectory been like? Have you noticed a lot of improvement, especially over the last, say, five or so years? Or is this just it been a sort of a constant, constant uphill battle? A little bit of both, kind of a mixture. So you know, we've seen an improvement in 
the existence of laws, but not necessarily an improvement in the enforcement of laws. You know, Section 508 has been around for longer, I think, than 17 years at this point. And we're only starting to get to the point where the government is getting serious about enforcing it. Uh, the EU has leapfrogged the U.S. in terms of having the best accessibility law in the world, in terms of having the most stringent standards. So that's something that's relatively new, likely due to the four-year stagnation that we experienced uh, when the Department of Justice wasn't really enforcing much of anything uh, related to accessibility. So I would say those two things are different. Um, and then also just, you know, the litigious nature of the U.S. and the fact that we went from one accessibility lawsuit in 2006 to more than 4,000 last year. What's the downside of all, all of these lawsuits? Like, isn't that something that's that's sort of needed? Like, because you're you're absolutely right. Without enforcement, uh, it really gives these the act no teeth. So there there needs to be some sort of incentive. So it's not necessarily the lawsuits that are the issue. Um, and of course, there's there's two sides to this story. So I'm sure you're aware that there is litigation pending before the Supreme Court right now pertaining to whether or not people who are on websites with disabilities that are purely there to test for compliance, whether or not they're valid plaintiffs. And so, you know, the people who tend to side with the businesses say, well, you know what, they're only in it for the money. They're look, they're looking for nitpicky errors. It, they're not benefiting people with disabilities. You know, on the flip side, you've got people like me saying, hey, look, if a tester finds that a hotel reservation system isn't accessible, they're saving me from finding it and, and actually causing harm to me. So there, there's both sides to it. You know, framing it in terms of a negative, you have to be accessible or you're going to get sued, ends up with people looking at accessibility, you know, disability is a negative, accessibility is a negative, oh, it's something we just have to do to make the lawyers happy, um, and, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't come from a place of empathy, doesn't come from a place of let's make our system better for everyone, so... I'm just not sure that there's a middle ground that's going to make everybody happy. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. Um, you know, the other thing that you often hear people say, and I don't know that this is any better, and I, again, I'm curious to hear your take on it, is that people will say things like, well, you know, you just have to provide businesses with like the business case to be accessible. Can you kind of speak to that a little bit and to that attitude? Well, do we need a business case for including people of color? Do we need a business case for including women? You know, accessibility and, and disability rights are a civil right just like any other civil right. And I think we we get othered frequently because the I've seen one estimate that 96% of companies that have DEI programs don't explicitly include disability in them. The sentence, you know, I want to hear a business case for this is usually frequently followed by how many disabled customers do we have anyways? And that right. ends up trapping you in a logical fallacy, because if you're not accessible, you're not going to have any disabled customers. But with 20% of the world being disabled, you have to have some disabled customers if you're not actively excluding them. And that's what inaccessibility does. It actively excludes people with disabilities. It prevents us from getting jobs. It prevents us from voting in some cases. Uh, you know, prevents us from buying wedding gifts and ordering food to be delivered and things that non-disabled people take for granted the simplicity of every single day. What's generally the the sort of the common attitude when you're interfacing with, say, with businesses or corporations who are, say, interested in, in becoming more accessible, but still have a lot of really sort of antiquated uh, views, or they're not really educated on what even that means. So with that type of audience, I would say the first step is to get into some accessibility myth busting. There's a lot of, like you said, antiquated thoughts around accessibility. Oh, accessibility is hard. Oh, my user interface is going to be ugly. Oh, I'm not going to get to pick pretty colors. Um, you know, just things that 
that really when you start to to dive deeper on those topics aren't really true at all. Um, I think the big one is accessibility is expensive. Well, accessibility is expensive if you wait until you get sued and then you have to retrofit accessibility into an existing design. Um, accessibility is not expensive when you build it in from the beginning. And so that's something that I want to make sure everybody understands up front. Uh, another early thing that I do is I take people through what I call a Marie Kondo exercise, which is to go through their websites and decide exactly what parts of the website spark joy. You know, getting rid of those 17-year-old PDF files that nobody ever opens anymore, rather than going through the, the time and hassle of finding the original uh, source to that and and making it accessible and then saving it out again only for people to never use it we've been talking about that on the podcast for for quite a few years you know when we talk about accessibility and getting people out of this out of this notion that it's an add-on or that it's something that we you know you tackle once the once the piece of software or the website or whatever is built and built out the way that they want it, then they look at accessibility. And that's such a, a less efficient and, like you said, more expensive way to approach accessibility. And accessibility as an add-on is exactly how we ended up with overlays. Don't get me oh. started there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. started. I, yes. I assume your audience is, is very familiar uh, with why those are a terrible yeah. idea. Yeah, but you know what? We love talking about it. So, you, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and, and actually, I did have that on the list of questions to sort of ask you about because, you know, you sort of are, are more in in this space working day to day. So where are we with overlays in terms of are, are companies beginning to realize that they, they're just kind of being fed snake oil and it, it really doesn't do what it's marketed to, to do? Because you still see a lot of them around. Mm -hmm. The overlay companies are still in business. Um, so I don't think uh, that people are necessarily getting uh, that, that snake oil messaging. You know, they, they've been overclaiming uh, what they do for, you know, an extensive period of time. There's still, you know, language up saying, oh, only one line of code and everything will be compliant. And that's not exactly the way accessibility works. Um, they also take the assistive technology out of the hands of the users. Um, you know, I, I want to type control plus myself and move my keyboard the way I want to move it. I don't want some layer, uh, you know, interacting with the software that I where I don't understand how that what layer works on my behalf. One of the other things that that makes me a little annoyed with overlays is that many of them do not allow you to combine features. So there's one very well-known overlay, I'm not gonna give them any publicity, where I can say that I'm an individual who gets easily motion sick, or I'm an individual that uses magnification, but I can't do both at the same time. And that's a problem because you can't predict what combination of disabilities people are gonna have. And it just so happens that I very much are, am both of those people. A lot of the overlay marketing that I've seen, you know, really leans into this idea of of seeing accessibility as a threat. Well, it's, a, it's the same thing that we talked about with the litigation, and it's right. also very much seeing accessibility as a checkbox exercise. R right, exactly. And this idea that oh, well, you can just become a compliant with one with one line of code, and you know, and and we haven't we haven't talked about the the book yet, the the book that you wrote, that you wrote um, giving a damn about accessibility. But I know that in it, I mean, you specifically talk about the idea that accessibility is isn't something that you just you work on for a few months and you finish and it's like, okay, boom, the website's accessible or the, the, the piece of software is accessible. It's, it's really, it's an, it's an evolve, it's an evolution. Um, and it's something that you're sort of constantly working on that you never really want to be content with. You always want to be trying to make things better. Yeah. The, the short version that we put on t-shirts is it's a program, not a project. <laughs> right, right. Right, exactly. And so and that and that really this this overlay philosophy just it, it simplifies accessibility to a ridiculous point. And, and it's not even true anyways. And they don't even it's it's more than that. So if you're making a case for why not to to use an overlay, 
really the, what you need to look at is that overlays have been selling themselves as a lawsuit vaccine, and they're not. In fact, overlays send a message, I haven't bothered to make my website accessible, and it actually makes your website a lawsuit target. I believe uh, UsableNet said in 2022 that 10% of lawsuits filed in 2022 were filed against companies using overlays. And we know that there are a couple of big lawsuits that have settled, that, that involved overlays, uh, that settled in favor of the plaintiffs. So... It's just none, none of the claims hold up. You know, how do you automatically identify images if we don't even have good 100% or even 90% solid uh, image identification system? I have this one example where I show myself uh, in my wheelchair doing practice on my archery range. And the automatic uh, ID for that picture is uh, person outdoors. Right. Nothing about the archery, nothing about the wheelchair. Right. You know, the, the important parts of that picture are just completely lacking from that image. And then also so much of alt text is about context. Right. Right. It's not about what's in, it, in the image, but what does the image mean? Right. And we're not even at the point where we can accurately describe what's in the image yet, much less what does it mean? Right. So why do you think we're still fighting these battles, especially with overlays, when everybody knows they don't work, they they cripple our accessibility Well, that's the problem. Technology. Everybody doesn't know it. Pe people like quick, cheap solutions. And they say, oh, well, I either have to hire these people and train everybody on accessibility, or I can just, you know, for the low, low price of just $24.95 a month, you know, you do this one thing and, and you you think it's fixed. I mean, you know, bottom line is if it's too good to be true, it, it's probably false. But again, like you mentioned, with over 4,000 litigation suits in the U.S. year over year over year and that number growing each year, all it takes is a simple five-minute Google search to see overlays bad, lawsuits against dominoes. Like people know they're doing wrong. So like, why are we not seeing change happen faster? I don't know that the decision makers are necessarily doing the Googling. I think yeah. product owners uh, might just be defaulting to whatever IT wants to do and IT isn't bothering to check. I think we need a, a couple of more really big cases um, to to really send the message home because there have only been uh, the two the two large ones so far. Right. Um, but believe me, there are plenty pending. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure in the long run, this is it will be something that will eventually die out uh, just for, for that well, very you reason. You just look at how the, the overlay companies have tried to morph all, already. All of a sudden, they're like, we author VPATs and we do full audits. We're not just overlay companies. So right. they're, they're obviously planning for a second life. Yeah, right. Uh, which, is, which is really ironic. Well, it, exactly, because... If their tool worked, why would you need a full audit? I mean, that's just <laughs> right. a mind exploder. Right. Well, they can't die out soon enough. That's no that's, kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, like I'm, I'm consistently shocked to see what sites um, still use an overlay. Well, the other thing I think I hear a lot of is they're better. They must be better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll just do it while we figure out what the real solution is. And right. then they either never get to the real solution or it actually slows down the real solution because they think that they've got a partial solution in place when they really don't. Right. I think the other thing that really bothers me is that it's in the marketing. They, they really use that threat of litigation to create this. Do, accessibility is this monster that, you know, you, you have to try to avoid by buying right. their and product. It the, and it paints the people with disabilities as the bad guy. 100% for sure. Um, and which really takes away from the whole point of, you know, driving, driving home accessibility education. We want to make the world better. It's, it's not a matter for everybody, not just for one small niche, you know, customers that may or may not buy your product. I mean, I know that as a business, that's kind of what they look at, but so many people don't really understand the idea that, that making a product more accessible, easier to use giving people options, that just makes it better for everybody. Absolutely. I mean, 80% of captions users aren't 
people with hearing loss. There are people in noisy environments. There are people who learn better visually. There are people where English is not their native language. And so those things, it's it's just, it's the classic curb cut phenomenon. You know, curb cuts were made so that, you know, I could get from one side of the street to the other in my wheelchair without assistance. Who uses curb cuts? 99% of the time, it's not people with mobility disabilities. It's bicyclists, skateboarders, people pushing strollers, people pulling luggage, Amazon, trolley, types of delivery services. Uh, you, you've made the situation, you intended to improve the situation for somebody with a disability, but in actuality, you ended up improving the situation for everybody. Yep. And, and just to add one long pull thought, to the answer to the question of why don't people know this already? You know, there are zero computer science programs that I'm aware of that require a course in accessibility to graduate. If right. every if every design student and every computer science student in the United States was required to take one three unit class or six hours of online training or even something basic about accessibility, then they would automatically know why overlays don't work and they would never support them in the environments that they work in. There'd be more voices against. Right. Okay, right. so we're yelling at the wrong people then. We need to get to the educators. We need to get to the decision makers. Because we're just screaming to the public, hoping that the business-minded people are going to do the right thing. And they obviously are so short-sighted that they can't see 20, 30, 40 years down the road that they themselves will be disab disabled in some way, shape, or form. So who do we need to reach? Who do we get need to get this point across? Because we've been doing this show for eight years. And, you know, we're slowly seeing things change in some arenas, but... Again, back to the U.S., you know, litigation is going up year over year after year. So the ADA doesn't seem to be doing anything. WCAG doesn't seem to be doing anything. What's going on? <laughs> well, I wouldn't necessarily say it's not doing anything. You know, obviously, we're, we're talking about it more. We're seeing more accessibility efforts. We're seeing more large corporations vote with their pocketbooks and say, we're going to try not to buy inaccessible software. But my my target has shifted away from the people who own the websites and the products and towards uh, the educators. I think that's where our ultimate solutions point is. Right. Well, I think the the other positive that we're seeing is that when more and more companies are are incorporating inclusive uh, hiring habits, so they're bringing on more people with disabilities onto their staff. So it's becoming more and more important for them to be providing tools that are accessible. When they say contract out a software company to, to build them something custom, that may be um, something in the contract where it's like, look, you know, we need something that's uh, accessible. So in a way, um, you know, accessibility can improve through a, a sort of a bunch of different a different ways because the more companies are demanding accessible products, that's where the developers are actually going to pay attention to to making I, their products accessible. I'd even go one step further than that, which is it's not necessarily about focusing on on hiring people with disabilities. If you build an environment where diversity is tolerated, period. And I'm talking about all kinds of diversity, not just focusing on one particular dimension of it. That's a core component to building what we refer to as a psychologically safe space, which then in turn is going to drive innovation. So people with hidden disabilities are going to feel more comfortable talking about those disabilities in the workplace. And people in meetings are more likely to raise their hands and say, how is somebody with dyslexia going to use this? How is somebody who's blind going to use this? And those questions aren't being asked frequently right now, especially in smaller companies. Companies. I do find it really interesting, though, that it's the larger companies, and maybe that's just because it's, a, it's about resources and, and what companies sort of have the resources to, to put into this. I, I'm not sure. But it seems to me really interesting that a lot of the leaders in this stuff are the larger, uh, the larger corporations. You know, we hear about, you know, Microsoft, for example, like having, you know, um, what are they called? ERGs? E, uh... Yeah, employee resource groups. 
Yeah, that's right. You know, the, those types of ideas, it's the larger corporations that are beginning to incorporate those. Um, but you're right. Like it's the, it's the small and medium businesses that I feel like um, those are the really hard sells, it seems. And, and those are the ones that are going to be the targets of the overlays because they're naturally risk averse. Right. Well, they won't last anyway because Amazon's going to rule the world. So. <laughs> well, well I hear not. they have a good accessibility program too. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they do. You know, I use Amazon quite frequently, and you know, like Rob said, you know, the bigger players, right? The Netflix, the Amazons, the Microsofts, the Googles. You know, these these big entities have have some of them not from the start, but in the last number of years, decided accessibility is very important and are reaching out to the community for involvement and feedback. And I think that's, you know, the important part of it too, is asking the community, you know, accessibility, and I hate that term because it means nothing, um, is a very daunting word. What's accessible to Liz may not work for me. And so when you say you need to be compliant, you need to be accessible, you need to do this, 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 and this, that's almost where you do need a list of check boxes to check to make sure you're covering off dyslexia, learning disabilities, cognitive, blindness, partial sight, all that stuff. So I, I can understand why there'd be some trepidation. But that's where bringing in people like you with with lived experience right. is really helpful because, you know, I can use a screen reader. I can actually use six screen readers. <laughs> I don't use them the same way you do. Right. Um, whereas I do live and die by magnification because I have glaucoma. Um, so uh, it's it's a different experience and it's a spectrum. Yeah. And even when people are committed to doing it right, they don't even always recognize that. Right. You know, wow. some people sign, some people, you know, in terms of deaf people, some people sign, some people speak, some people use captions, uh, you know, some people are deaf blind and need to use Braille. There's there's all kinds of, of different approaches that you need to take into account. There is. And I think one of the other things that we tend to forget quite often is to applaud those who are actually making change, making the effort to become compliant, to become accessible. We're so good at screaming and yelling but how often do we compliment those that are actually doing the doing the work and when people are doing the work it's typically not a big bang it's typically rolling out small improvements over time and so sometimes if the company isn't touting their improvements themselves they might not even be noticed yeah yeah that's a really good point that's a good point Ryan. you know sherry you you talk about in the book too you, when you when you talk about building accessibility, you say that, um, you know, your first attempt at it, it's not going to be perfect. And you, you know, as a, as an organization, you have to be open to criticism and keep an open mind when you're trying to develop an accessible product. It, do you find that accessibility is sort of intimidating to a lot of, uh, a lot of organizations um, when you, when you first talk to them about it? I think anytime you're talking about any dimension of diversity, uh, people are worried about getting it wrong. You know, they've heard, oh, some people want to hear the phrase people with disabilities and other people <laughs> want to hear disabled people and other people want to hear autistic. Yeah. And and they're nervous to even try because they think yep. the world's going to implode if they get it wrong. <laughs> That's why the disability community can get nothing done. I wouldn't say that, um, but it's but it's but it's why we see so many cultural differences associated yeah. with um, like nobody in India thinks twice about using the phrase wheelchair bound, right? right? And that just makes me cringe. Uh, whereas uh, other countries think it's perfectly fine to use the phrase special needs, and right. and I'm not a big fan of that one either. So it's it's almost like we're not talking about the same thing. Sometimes sure. it can be a little bit disjointed. And I think that's another reason why um, larger companies uh, might be better at it in part because the financial resources, but also in part because they can take a global, global perspective on it and not just focus on a company, you know, a country, sorry, where they happen to be located. Right. And this is, I feel like this is a societal problem. This goes, extends far, mm -hmm. far beyond, you know, sort of the disability community. But 
it's again it's this it's a symptom of everybody being afraid to offend anybody or afraid to really being screamed down on say social media for example so they don't even engage we we don't we're not having the conversations because people are too afraid that they're they're going to say something wrong or they're going to use the term the wrong language and um i i think that that can be a problem oh i'm quite sure it's a problem and in yeah. fact uh I have a slide with a well-known song lyric that I'm sure the two of you are familiar with. Uh, you know, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice, uh, which is uh, from a song called Free Will by uh, a band called Rush. And, you know, yep. I'm originally from New Brunswick. And so that, that was a big part of my upbringing. <laughs> yes, and, uh, and, you know, uh, silence is, you've made a choice, right? If you know, when you decide not to do something, you've you've decided not to do something. That is right. a choice. Right. It's not like null in computer science. Right. And it's also frustrating because it's also a, a huge distraction. I mean, while everybody's screaming at each other about, say, something like like language and terminology. Um, meanwhile, you know, we have we have much bigger problems in terms of, you know, everything, you know, the, the build environments, the inaccessibility of websites. I mean, it really does blow my mind that in 2023, we we're still fighting for for web accessibility like it's just it's 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 mind-boggling to me we've been fighting this fight for decades well and i mean the accessible canada act passed what six years ago yeah i want to say i mean i was actually in new brunswick when it passed yeah. um and and i haven't been home since the pandemic i'm hoping to get home next summer but anyways um that you know intent is great but until you've got everything codified and and rolled out and said these are the deadlines uh you know people are waiting for that they're they don't want to spend money on something where they don't know what the final rules are well and again the lack of enforcement is going to be an incentive to not do anything well i'm seeing i'm seeing cases come out of canada where they're using civil rights laws over physical inaccessibility um i'm hoping that that somebody will will take up that uh that approach uh over digital accessibility as well because to me that makes sense we we don't we don't have disability codified in our traditional civil rights laws in the U.S., which is why we're using um, the Americans with Disabilities Act instead. But it's frustrating because I feel like any other equity-seeking group they wouldn't be dragging their feet in terms of legislating. Like it's just it it baffles me that still today I don't know, all of these really old ableist attitudes are still there. I, I just don't know why that is. You know? I've, listen, I've always stuck with my same theory about that, is that because to make things accessible with, as opposed to an equity-seeking group, our plight costs money where theirs don't. Theirs is more of a you know, shift in thinking as opposed to a shift in right. how they actually not only run their business, how they operate their business, how they structure their business, and there are so many more facets to it. And I think if the money part weren't weren't the issue, then we would be so much far and it was just like any other group out there. One of the one of the things that I think plays into it is it's hard for people without disabilities to look at you know the disabled population and I'm making air quotes around that as a single community. You know, people who are blind need one thing. People who are deaf need something different. People who have uh, you know, physical access and fine motor skills issues need a third thing. Neurodiverse people need a fourth thing. And so we don't look as a cohesive or, you know, the, the same, co we don't look the same way as other dimensions of diversity do. But again, going back to the to the book, Sherry, you know, you, you you say that people are allergic to change, and I really I really get that sense that you know this is the way that things have always been in a, in a in a period of time right now where we are seeing so much social change. I don't know. Maybe there's maybe people just 
are worn out. Yeah, the other thing that I started to add to that, which probably wasn't in the book because I published that two years ago, is that technology evolves faster than the ethical use of that technology. Yes. Oh, God, so, yeah, we're seeing that you know, with ChatGPT. I was just going to say, we're, yeah. we're, we're seeing that in ChatGPT right now. Uh, have you guys discussed on your podcast yet the when um, somebody pretended to be blind and got ChatGPT to uh, to complete a captcha for them? Oh no, no, I, I did didn't not. see that didn't story. That. Yeah, that that happened three or four weeks ago, I think. Okay. Wow, uh, they solved the captcha. Yeah, probably nice. fabulous. Wow, it's see, you know, I and I really do. Like, we and we have talked talked uh, uh, about it. Um, well, ChatGPT has all the world's knowledge at its fingertips, right? It can do things so much better than humans can in some regards. Yeah, I mean, AI, I think, is exciting in some ways and really super alarming in others. Sure. It's it's a real mixed bag. But, you know, if if it can, you know, eventually do something like, say, it, it can eventually get to the point where it can alt text a, a picture accurately um, with at least enough enough information to you know maybe it might not get the context right maybe that's something that we'll still always need we gotta sort get of, sherry to sherry to upload her picture of her on the archery range and see what it comes back with exactly <laughs> but i mean so that's exciting i mean th there are some some accessibility i think implications with ai that that can be exciting but i, I think in general the, the entire technology is is yeah you're right going way too fast before we we're figuring out the ethics of it that, and that's something that's not going to change. The next, the next technology will be, you know, that comes after Chat GPT will evolve faster than the ethical use of that technology. It's, yep. it's, it's just the way technology evolves. Technology evolves quickly. Ethics, not so much. That's right. Well, I mean, heck, we have to remember that even iPhones, you know, when they first came out, it took them, uh, what is it, Ryan, two, three years before. They eventually yeah. got to the point of building in a screen reader so that it was accessible. Like it, it and Apple, you know, it, historically they've been one of the leaders in in terms of uh, building in accessibility into their products. But it took them a while too. So, you know, I I guess these things do take time. But again, you know, you have to wonder about why the hell when you were sitting down and designing an iPhone in the first place, why didn't you think of accessibility right out of the gate? Why did it take you two years to so to and, to get and to that, that, point. that comes first full circle to my conversation about making uh, computer science and design students take accessibility classes in college. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because if they, if they had, that would less likely uh, happen. Can I just point out something about the Apple iPhone, which is still so shocking to me to this day, is that did you know that you cannot answer your phone with one touch, no, with a with a button? So That's if you're true. not if you're not using voiceover, you cannot answer your phone if you can't see your screen and you can't swipe. Huh. You might be able to if you've got the Apple Watch, but I've only seen other people do it. I don't use huh. one myself. But why should you have to get an Apple Watch to exactly. answer your phone? Yeah, and, no, and, and same thing with the Apple Watch, you know, with the the face facial recognition and then pandemic happened and people didn't want to take their masks off. And for a while, it, it was it would ignore the mask if you had the uh, watch, but not if you had the phone. It took them a while to get that rolled out. Every time I stop by the Apple store and if I pass by, I will always pop in and talk to my guys. I'll be like, hey, do you guys, because they, they know me. Hey, have you figured out how I can answer my phone when I can't see my screen? And they're like, no, no, we're still working on it. We, didn't, we don't know yet. Well, there's a new iOS no update coming out next week. Oh. <laughs> Maybe so, it'll be in there. When they when they actually finally fix this, you're welcome. That's all. <laughs> well, and it's washers and dryers, it's stoves, it's refrigerators, everything with touch screens. Like, you know, companies are still manufacturing inaccessible products on a regular basis. So one of the questions I wanted to quickly jump in with was, do you think accessibility only seems to be a priority when it's happening top down. So like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella has a son with a disability. I don't know about um, Google, I don't know about Apple, but some of these companies seem to have a tie or a relation to a disability 
and that might be what spurs them on to make change. Have you noticed anything like that? I I don't know the reasons why uh, other other companies have made their decisions. Certainly, Satya Nadella's situation is fairly well known, though I believe Microsoft was on the path to accessibility, you know, before they took over slowly yes <laughs> certainly certainly it doesn't hurt to have somebody in leadership committed to the cause right well then so as a general overview how do you feel lately about accessibility just sort of are you are you are you in a place where you're fairly optimistic or are you just sort of still just fighting feel like you're just sort of fighting the the same fight day by day well i I'm fairly well known for being a half glass empty kind of person. So um, <laughs> a lot of the times I do feel like I'm fighting the same fight uh, day by day. You know, if I look at the industry, you know, I'm happy about the European Accessibility Act. I think that's going to be a big game changer. And when you change your website so that you can do business in the EU, just like GDPR, people people made that change so they could sell in the EU. You're not making a special website for people in the EU. You're fixing your website so everybody uh, is, is going to have access to that improved uh, legislative state. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, I'm there. There are other things, though, like you said, that are more frustrating. I'm concerned that uh, if this Supreme Court decision, which I think is going to be 5-4, but I can't tell you who's going to win right now, uh, if that goes against accessibility testers, that's going to shut down the, the plaintiff's business of accessibility litigation, but it's also going to make it a lot harder for people like you and me to file our cases because we're going to have to prove that we actually intended uh, to to uh, buy things from that website or to utilize that service where that that's not required as a point of proof right now in, right. in most uh, jurisdictions in the United States. Which I don't really think is that bad because we know there are people that are just sitting at home scouring websites to try and find companies to sue. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it does not take much to what we say in the legal community, plead with specificity. Um, which, you know, means, you know, put in a few details and don't make it the same copy of the lawsuit that you filed against 80 other companies. Right. Well, it sounds like we still have a lot of work to do. <laughs> um, our work is definitely cut out for us. But, yes. you know, I keep seeing jobs for people with accessibility uh, involved in them, a uh, number of job descriptions that even mention accessibility that are not necessarily about accessibility is going up. The, um, there are now accessibility apprenticeships available in both the US and the UK that were not available five years ago. Hmm. So from, from that aspect, um, I, I think we are seeing improvement that will have a real change. Excellent. Well, All good. right, well this week I'm glass half full then. <laughs> you brought me back around, Sherry. That's right, got that energy back. <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> That's right. Sherry, it's, thank you again so much for, for taking some time out and, and talking with us. Uh, we love talking about accessibility. Um, well, if, so do I. <laughs> so much more right? to talk about. If people want to reach out, contact you, where, where can people go to find out more to, to read some of the articles that you are writing? So my main form of social media is LinkedIn. Uh, so if you want to just uh, connect with me, a spelling of my last name is hyphenated. And the first part is B as in boy, Y-R-N as in Nancy E. And my last name is Haber, not the French spelling, the German spelling, H-A-B-E-R. <laughs> I always have to correct that in New Brunswick because they assume it's H-E-R-B-E-R-T, which it isn't. Um, and... Uh, the book uh, that we've been talking about is available from uh, accessibility.uxdesign.cc. I'm working on trying to find a publisher for my second book right now. So if you all like the book, please leave me a nice review on uh, Goodreads uh, because publishers do look at that. I have one more question. One more yes. quick question. How do you feel about Twitter? 
Go. <laughs> oh my god just can, kidding can i come back on another show <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i think the fact that they turf their whole accessibility to you everything that you need to know about what i think about them yes oh come on there's no filters on this show let her go <laughs> <laughs> Yes, please come back. We'd love to have you back. Yes, please do. Yeah, maybe when uh, WCAG 2.2 uh, comes out, uh, if you want to do a review on that, uh, or sure. uh, any of the pending litig the important litigation in the U.S. gets decided, I'd be happy to come back. Wasn't that supposed to be released this summer sometime? WCAG 2.2? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Real soon now. Yeah. We're down to our final calls for consensus. Thank All right, you so well, much. Thank, thank you, you so Sherry. much, Sherry. Enjoy the rest right, of your take day. care. Thank you, Sherry. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Take care. Look at you up on the on the wig keg. <laughs> look at you on the book yeah. references. I'm impressed. Yeah, look at that, right? Yeah, I'm red. You red. Got it right in front of you, don't you? You're flipping through no. the index. <laughs> no. <laughs> Table of contents. <laughs> Out of boy. No. <laughs> no, he, he he asked for the summary from ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, That's something I never thought about. I'm going to start doing that anytime I book an author. I'm just going to go straight to ChatGPT. Get the book summary. <laughs> I wonder if that would work, actually. Thank you, Internet. <laughs> See, we Thank do. You, we, have, we we do need to figure out how ChatGPT can make us make this whole thing more easy for us well i think chat gpt if it can deep fake kanye's voice and drake's voice it can do us so maybe we'll yeah. just have chat gpt do the podcast well there you go yeah oh lord maybe oh, lord. we should oh lord i know that's how that's what <laughs> my voice sounds like fifth co-host that's just chat gpt <laughs> find some... oh my god i'll then i'll need to get booted down to mic five <laughs> that's right <laughs> You're gonna be, it's right. You're gonna be under chat. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Get Morgan Freeman's voice. Be great. Yep. Yeah, it's always interesting getting uh, at talking about accessibility, and especially with somebody who's like who's in, in there. The, yeah, who's yeah. in there? Who's yeah. you know? I don't know. It, I'm so. I get so. I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel now. Like, am I optimistic or not? Like see, it feels like we're making some progress, but are we really making it fast enough? See, I, I think for me, yeah, like I, like she said, we may see incremental changes that are barely noticed or hardly noticed. But I think for me, when Maytag or Whirlpool or Keurig or whoever manufacturer is releases their entire product line with accessibility out of the box, where I don't need an app and you know, the touchscreen has a screen reader built in because it can be done. Sony has a camera that has a full screen reader on it. Um, I think when I see that happening, I th I'll have a bit more hope that companies are paying attention to the community. But well, and I thought you brought you brought up a really good point. And, and this is something that everybody in the community, I think, should should actually practice but yeah it, it, we should be recognizing companies that are are making that attempt yeah. um so you know for for example sony and their camera like we they should be getting accolades from the community people should yeah. be like yeah like hell yeah like go buy the this camera. is great support it, them. yeah we should yeah. be rewarding companies that are that are trying to do the right thing um and i don't know that that's happening uh, again because accessibility there's, there's a, an audio company that makes interfaces called Focusrate. Mm -hmm. They have a whole line of audio interfaces. Their first one that came out last year called the Vocaster 1 and the Vocaster 2, they had people beta testing it, and it is 100% accessible. Their software is 100% accessible on your PC, on your Mac, and that's because they were paying attention to the community. They got feedback from the community. They got feedback from audio producers who are blind, partially sighted, you know, whatever their other disabilities may be. Um, and they built that into their product and they're doing that going forward. So you're right. People need to recognize that and applaud them. 
But mm -hmm. if you were to buy one of these interfaces and install their software, you wouldn't know it was accessible because you're, yeah. you're an able-bodied. Right. Right? Somebody who's blind might find out about it through their website or a Google search. But right. if they were just to go into a music store and buy one and hope for the best, they'd be pleasantly surprised. Right. But, right. you know, it's, it's a gamble. You just don't, you don't always see the accessibility. Well, see, I wonder if, if somebody should actually, and I don't know how these work, I don't know how you just make an award, but like really there should be accessibility awards. There should, there should be like something, a badge or something that, that, you know, different companies and organizations can actually like put right. on their website and be like, Hey, we are not just not like a compliancy like committed to badge, but yeah, like, and something, something where they're getting an award from like the community that, you know, listen, you guys went above and beyond making your product accessible and I, I hate rewarding people for things that they should be doing all along yes yes but you know again if they've done it then let's applaud them or yeah. maybe we need to try and get sony on the podcast and ask them or focus right and ask them why did you decide suddenly to build accessibility into your products mm. like what was that we got sued. No, well, that might be it. But really? it might be they had enough. It could be, but they might have Our had Our lawyers enough. say we can't talk about this. Well, that's just it. But it might be that they had enough people in the community say, look, I want to use your products, but I can't. Right. And then they realize that there is a market. There's a business model yeah. to be made in serving this community, this community of disabled people. Yeah, but you know what I like? I. It, I really like Sherry's attitude on that, though. I like, I like this idea of getting away from this whole business case thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, because you're right. But I mean, I don't know. But but again, it, we you know again with twenty billion dollars spending that companies aren't taking advantage of because they're not thinking about accessibility. They're not thinking about the disability dollars. Right. If you build a Maytag washer and dryer that's fully accessible, that I don't have to do. I don't have to try and change any settings on the washing machine to do colors and silks and whatever. I just, you know, right now, put the dial on cold, hit the timer, go, yeah. right? I, I, that's all I can do. But if they build yeah. an appliance that's 100% accessible, that I can adjust settings and water temperature and time and everything else, I'll buy that product. Yeah. Because I can, because I can use it. <laughs> oh, God, don't try to pretend you do laundry. I do. That is one of my jobs. <laughs> really? I do the laundry. Yes, I mm. do. Really? Yep. Thank I God want, for Tide Pods. I want some proof. <laughs> well, I'll get my wife on the podcast. Listen, you're no, supposed we, to be, want hold on. we want proof of life. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Now we're going to get like a lot of email because Ryan just admitted that he uses Tide Pods and those are bad for the environment. Those break down into microplastics, sir, and fill the ocean when's the last you're time you used dolphins your, when's the last you're time killing you, dolphins when's the last time you used your keurig rob uh, yeah today yeah exactly they say they're 100 no, 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 recyclable no, no, no. and compostable no 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 like i bought one of those reusable pods i just i buy ground coffee and i fill because uh, first of all okay. not because i'm trying to save the environment i'll be really super transparent <laughs> just about because, it. because it's, I'm just, cheap. it's exactly it's too damn expensive it's to buy those stupid keurig cups indeed yeah. It costs you like 25 bucks to buy like 20 of them. And it's like, forget that. I'm not paying a dollar for <laughs> <laughs> a dollar for a coffee when I'll spend seven for one at Starbucks. No, but I won't though. That's the thing. <laughs> exactly. I know you will. That makes no sense, you hypocrite. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, don't use Tide Pods. You're killing dolphins. That's all. It's too, Tide Pods, it's too expensive. Just squirt a little, you know, hand Buy washing no stuff in there. Yeah, exactly. Just, just squirt some, who cares? You don't need, those, the, the measurements, don't listen to the measurements. They just pour a bunch in. Squirt some hand soap and toothpaste oh. in there, stir it up. And <laughs> Water alone does the job. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, I heard, listen, I heard something that I'd never heard before. So it's totally side, side mm -hmm. bar. Uh, but I heard from somebody that you're not supposed to actually wash jeans. Yeah, oh. I think I always heard you're supposed God. to just put, you could put them in the freezer. Yes, that's exactly no, 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 it. No, no, you put wait, them in the no, freezer no, and I it kills them. all the no. bacteria. Yeah, no, I it doesn't. Them, but... No, no, wait. I know what you guys, no, it doesn't, the freezer does not kill the bacteria. It basically puts it into like a the suspended yeah. state. So okay. guess what? 
it will still be as all the bacteria and funkiness. It's just pa- hitting the pause button. Yeah. <laughs> really? It. Okay. Well, I don't, so now I don't know who to believe. I'm getting conflicting information. Then you got but, critters crawling. Oh, but but I like yeah. I don't understand. I'm gonna have to probably Google that later. Because I don't know. I've been washing my jeans for like all my life, so I I don't know. Well, yes, everyone, you should wash your jeans. Okay, well, see, Liz is got completely different information from Liz, unless she's like pulling her chain. She's just feeding us wrong information, which I wouldn't put her past. No, God, please wash your jeans. (laughs) Please, for the love of God, wash your jeans. Say, buy your cheap ass coffee, but wash your jeans. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, okay. Well, I'll keep you guys posted. I'll see what I decide off. And why would that only work with jeans and not other other clothing? Here, let's you listen. Well, well, put, your, put your stinky ass socks in the freezer, and then when you <laughs> and then and then leave them in there for a week, and then when you thaw them out, let me let, let let's okay, let's create I'll, an experiment. Okay, I'll go there. Throw your underwear in the freezer, <laughs> and then when, oh once you think it's clean, pull it out and put them back on. Wow. Yeah, exactly. It yeah, ain't that's, clean. The, the moral that's, of the story is, people, wash your jeans, please. No, wash your, wash your damn jeans. Moral of the story is never go to Ryan's house for pierogies. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Anyways, yeah, we got, we got sidetracked. Not us. So. Hey, Liz. Hey, Rob. Uh, where can people find us? Um, I think they can find us at atbanter.com. You are correct. Uh, they can also... Yeah, yeah, got one. Drop <laughs> us an email, if they so desire, at cowbell at atbanter.com. And they can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Mastodon. What the voice is that? I don't know what the hell is up with Ryan. (laughs) That's the the Liz sick voice. (laughs) Man. Microphone sucks, Liz. (laughs) It sucks, Liz. Sucks, Liz. Man, see, we missed you. We really did. We did. We didn't do any of this when you were gone. We were just, we're just boring. You're very serious, so you and I'm. You give us a lot point. of material to work with. <laughs> what the hell did we do for the six years that we didn't have her on the show to, to torture? Oh, you make the show great. Yep. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I listen, I, could, I, could listen, I, 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 I really do think I could listen to 45 minutes of that if you guys just doing that to each other. I think I like the David Lee Roth voice better, but I don't know. I feel good. Ow! <laughs> Man, I love it. We're just we're I tell you, we're, this show's evolving. Day by day, let me tell you. You thought accessibility evolved. This show. I was down in the middle of the railroad track. Sorry, wow, I'm nice. nice. Thunder! Thunder! Ow! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Chat GPT, come save us. <laughs> no, actually, it, that actually would be great. Actually. Maybe we can get Chappie GPT to like, to like mimic David Lee Roth's voice and we could actually have him as a podcast co-host. Yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting. Google it. Chat GPT it. You know, one of these days we're going to be changing and Google it to Chat GPT it. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think that uh, it's going to be a real interesting year, I think. Yeah. Seeing how much it's changing and how much we're just, yeah, it's going to be a thing. It's going to be a... The next big thing. Is there a thing where it can take a voice print of you and yeah. it'll... Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting there. Yeah, like three for sure. seconds to get a sample. If you want a better sample, then you got to record a longer piece of material, but it only needs three. Yeah. Crazy. C- creepy. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh, just wait until your audiobook that we're planning for you, Liz. <laughs> You've given us a year's worth of audio material. Now we can just feed into ChatGPT and then yeah, chapter one. Sing, 
list Chuck. comes to Tahoe. Should I prepare for all my clients to leave me now? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. All sorry. right. That, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, dear. Step on, my, step on my outro. It's the only thing I have. Can we get out of here, please? Let's go. What are you waiting for? Hell right. I think that is going to about do it for us this week. And we will see everybody. Say it, Ryan. Next week. Ow. I feel good. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 